0: Let's take second Bible <clears throat> this evening and turn to Isaiah chapter 9. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 9 this evening. <clears throat> and we're going to read <clears throat> from verse 6. Isaiah 9 and verse 6. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end, upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of Hosts will perform this. Let's have a word of prayer. <clears throat> Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity uh, to be here this evening. And We pray, Lord, now as we come around your word, that you would help us each to come with hearts that are ready to receive from you. <clears throat> I pray that you would uh, teach us, you would instruct us from your word this evening. I pray that you would empower me now through the Spirit. You would give me wisdom and guidance as only you can give. And that, Lord, you would refresh us, you would bless us through your word, and that uh, your name will be lifted up and glorified and honored this evening. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we began looking at uh, this wonderful passage, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. We started looking at it a couple of weeks ago on a Wednesday evening. And so if you weren't here that Wednesday evening, you'll have to go back and uh, have a look at it on YouTube there on our website. Uh, But we start looking at this wonderful prophecy given by Isaiah uh, concerning the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah around 700 years before the Messiah's birth. And Isaiah here in this prophecy, he sees the birth of the Messiah and he sees what the Messiah would eventually come and do. The government would rest upon his shoulder. He would bring peace and order unto the world. And of course, Christ will do that when he comes again the second time. He will bring that peace, that order in the Millennial Kingdom. So Isaiah saw this, he saw the Messiah's birth and he saw the Messiah's work. And in the midst of this prophecy, he gives us this wonderful list of names describing who Christ is, describing his character and describing for us the nature of the Messiah. And it's these names that we want to consider uh, this Christmas season. We're looking at. Uh, leading up to Christmas and then after Christmas as well, uh, these names for our Lord. And so we consider the first of these names, the name Wonderful, uh, last time. It's a name that, de- that declares the truth that Christ is unique. He's unique and wonderful or marvelous in his person and being. You know, everything about the Lord excites wonder and amazement for those of us who truly believe those of us who are saved when we consider the Lord Jesus Christ he is indeed wonderful he is marvelous unto each and every one of us you know we considered some of the ways that Christ is wonderful we considered his birth the incarnation the fact that Lord Jesus Christ would leave heaven's glory and would come down to earth as a man it's a wonderful glorious thing that he would humble himself in such a way we considered his life here on earth and the The fact that he lived a perfect, sinless life and that everything he touched, everywhere he went, every event was turned extraordinary because Christ was there. Consider these words. You know, he brought the wonderful words of life. We consider, of course, his death. The fact that Christ would die there on the cross to pay the price for our redemption, that is truly wonderful. And then of course, his resurrection, that he would rise again, triumphant over the grave, over sin, over death. And then finally, his ascension back into heaven, where even now Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father and he acts as our advocate. He intercedes on our behalf. You now, truly, when we consider everything about our Lord, he is indeed wonderful. And this evening now, we come to the second name given to us here in verse 6 let's just read verse 6 again it says for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counsellor so we come this evening to the second name the name counsellor according to the barnes the name counsellor here is expressive of great wisdom And of qualifications to guide and direct the human race. So that's what it's speaking about here. It's declaring the fact that Christ is the one who is qualified to guide and direct us. He is the one who is qualified to give us wisdom and understanding, direction in our lives. Now there are many in the world today who claim to be qualified counselors. Now, And these men and women claim to have the answer to people's problems. The counsel that they offer is grossly inferior to the counsel that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. The counsel that comes from the counselor, our Lord and Savior. And so as believers, he is the one that we must turn to for wisdom. He's the one we need to go to for counsel in our lives. Having said that, that doesn't mean it's wrong you know, for us to seek counsel from a fellow believer who's walking with the Lord or wrong to seek the counsel of the pastor. But even then, the counsel they give us ought to come from the Lord, come from the counselor in his word. And so the truth that this name presents to us here is that for the believer, Christ is the supreme counselor. Let's consider first of all this evening why Christ is qualified to be our counselor. Why is Christ qualified to be our counsellor? Now, when we consider the Lord, consider who he is, we notice that he is uniquely qualified in a way that no one else is to give us this counsel. And there's two, two things that make him uniquely qualified. The first is that he is fully God. The Lord Jesus Christ is fully God. Turn over with me to Colossians chapter 2. <clears> 2. <throat> In Colossians 2 and verse 9, speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, it says, For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Paul here declares that in Him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ is indeed fully God. Now, the fact that He is the Son of God does not diminish His deity, It doesn't somehow make Christ to be lesser God. No, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. He possesses all the attributes of the Father. He possesses the same essence. He's of the same essence as the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ is fully God. You see, that means that Christ has all the answers to our problems, doesn't it? If Christ is fully God... Then he has all the answers we could ever need. You see, as God, he sees and he knows everything. In Colossians 2, verse 3, that same chapter there, in verse 3 it says, In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ is all wisdom and knowledge. You see, there is nothing that he doesn't know, there is nothing that is hidden from our Lord, from our counsellor. And so because that's true, you know, we can be sure that we can always trust the counsel that he gives us from his Word. We can trust the counsel he gives. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ is never going to get it wrong, is he? He's not going to get it wrong. He's not going to make a mistake with the counsel, with the direction he gives us. Human counsellors will get it wrong. And they get it wrong all the time. But Christ never will. He is the source of all wisdom, all knowledge. He is God. And as such, he is perfectly qualified to be our counselor. The second thing that makes him uniquely qualified is that he is fully man. He's fully God and he is fully man. Go to John chapter 1 with me. We know this verse well, but John chapter 1. Excuse me. John 1 and verse 14. It says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John says, The Word, Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, was made flesh and dwelt among us. The eternal son of God left heaven's glory and Christmas is all about this, about how he came to earth, was born and laid in a manger there in Bethlehem. Christ became flesh. He was born into this world like anyone else. He grew up here on earth. He labored here on earth. He suffered. He bled and died there on the cross. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ as a man experienced all the things that we go through, didn't he? experience experienced all the things we go through in life here on earth. And what that means is that we can never accuse the Lord of not understanding our situation. We can't turn around to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, You just don't understand my problem. You don't understand what I'm going through. The Lord Jesus Christ, as man, fully understands everything we face. Now, the writer of Hebrews uh, put it really well. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 2. <clears throat> in Hebrews 2 <clears throat> and verse 17. It says, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest, and things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted. He is able to succor them that are tempted. And then if you turn over chapter 4 and verse 15, we see similar words. Here is 4 verse 15. It says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ, as a man, was tempted like we are, yet without sin. He faced all the things we face here on earth. It means that Christ is perfectly qualified to give us counsel. He knows what we are going through. He has experienced it firsthand. And therefore, Christ is able to identify with us. As it says there in uh, chapter 2, he's able to succor us. He's able to identify with us. He knows what we are feeling. You see, Christ's humanity makes him perfectly qualified to give us counsel. You see, together, Christ's deity and his humanity make him the perfect counselor, the one that we need. And So let's consider, secondly, this evening why we need this counsel. Why do we need Christ's counsel? We'll turn over with me to Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23. Jeremiah, <clears throat> I know we're turning to a few passages this evening. <clears throat> Jeremiah 10 and verse 23 it says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself, it is not in man that walketh. To direct his steps. Now, Jeremiah here sums up perfectly our need of counsel. Jeremiah here says, He says, the way of man is not in himself, and it's not in man that walketh to direct his steps. In other words, Jeremiah says, man doesn't have the capacity to make the right decision, we don't have the capacity to direct our own steps you know, many have tried and failed miserably, haven't they? You know, you can scan through the, the pages of God's Word and you can see example after example where men and women tried to direct their own steps. And the result was they failed miserably. One classic example in the Word of God is found in Joshua chapter 9. Let's just turn there. Just for one example. <clears throat> in Joshua chapter 9, and we'll read from verse 1 in Joshua 9 verse 1 it says and it came to pass when all the kings which were on this side Jordan in the hills and in the valleys and in all the coasts of the great sea over against Lebanon the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite heard thereof and they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and to Ai, they did work willily and went and made as if they had been ambassadors and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles old and rent and bound up and old shoes and, and cladded upon their feet and old garments upon them and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua under the camp at Gilgal and said unto him and to the men of Israel, we become from a far country. Now, therefore, make ye a league with us. And the men of Israel said unto the Hebrews, Peradventure ye dwell among us. And how shall we make a league with you? And they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. And Joshua said unto them, Who are ye? And from whence come ye? And they said unto him, From a very far country, thy servants are come because of the name of the Lord thy God. For we have heard the fame of him and all that he did in Egypt. And all that he did to the two kings, of the Amorites, that were beyond Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of uh, Bashan, which was at Ashtaroth. Wherefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake to us, saying, Take victuals with you for the journey, and go to meet them, and say unto them, We are your servants, therefore now make ye a league with us. This our bread we took hot for our provision, out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you. But now behold it is dry and it is moldy and these bottles of wine which were filled were new and behold they be rents and these our garments and our shoes are become old by reason of the very long journey and the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord and Joshua made peace with them made a league with them and to let them live and the prince of the congregation swear unto them. In Joshua chapter 9 we have the Familiar story of the Gibeonites and how they came and they disguised themselves as if they traveled from a faraway country. And they did this in order to deceive the Israelites into making a peace agreement with them. And in verse 14, we read the mistake that Joshua and the, the leaders of Israel made. It says they asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. You know, they looked at the situation and they thought, we can make this decision. We can make this decision on our own. It it seemed like a very straightforward answer. It seemed like a situation they could handle on their own. And so they didn't ask the Lord. They didn't seek his counsel. They sought to direct their own steps. And they made a peace agreement with a nation that they should never have made peace with. It was a decision, of course, that had lasting consequences for the nation of Israel. And, you know, this is just one example of this truth that man has no capacity to direct our own steps. We will not make the right decision on our own. We need the counsel of the law. You know, there are several reasons why this is true. Several reasons why we cannot hope to direct our own steps. And the first of these is that man's heart is sinful and selfish. Our heart is sinful and selfish. Go to Jeremiah chapter 17 with me. Another verse I'm sure we are very familiar with, Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Now, one of the main reasons that we cannot hope to direct our own steps is the wickedness of our hearts, the wickedness within. You know, Jeremiah here, he says, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Concerning this verse, the commentator Barnes wrote this. He said, man's heart is incapable of seeing things in straightforward manner, but is full of shrewd guile and ever seeking to overreach others. You see, the wickedness that exists in our hearts means that we cannot see clearly the situation before us. Our decisions are governed by a flawed human nature, a sinful nature. And it means that our decisions that we make without God are naturally selfish. We seek what's best for us, first of all. And our decisions are also sinful. We seek that which pleases our flesh. Commentator Goosik writes this, Our hearts often deceive us, presenting heart fulfillment as the key to happiness. What we desire is often not what we need. The advice, be true to your heart, fails when the heart is deceitful above all things. It's true, isn't it? That advice is actually terrible, be true to your heart. If your heart's not right with the Lord, then that's a terrible piece of advice because our heart is deceitful above all things. We cannot follow our hearts. See, our heart is selfish. It is sinful. It deceives us into thinking we are making the right choice. You know, thankfully, when we get saved, we are given a new nature within. We are renewed. We are made new creatures in Christ Jesus. There is a change that takes place in our hearts. And now with the Spirit dwelling within, with the Spirit leading us and guiding us, We can begin to make right choices, but only as we yield to the Spirit. Only as we're yielding to the Spirit and we're walking according to the counsel that Christ gives unto us. You see, even after we get saved, we still have the old sinful flesh, don't we? It hasn't gone away. That old sinful flesh is still present. And so anytime we look at a situation, we think, Lord, I've got this. I can make a decision on my own. You can guarantee our decision will be fleshly. It will be sinful and it will be selfish. We cannot hope to make decisions on our own because of our sinful heart. The second thing, the second reason we need God's counsel is because man's mind is limited. Our mind is limited. Go to Isaiah with me, Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, verse 8. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, another reason that we desperately need God's counsel is because we cannot possibly think as God thinks. We can't think as He thinks. Our minds are limited. Our minds are inferior to our Lord. You know, compared to Him, our wisdom is nothing but foolishness. It's foolishness. In verse 9, there, the Lord says this He says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, with these words here, God, God highlights for us just how inferior our way of thinking really is. He says, he compares it to the distance that the heavens is above the earth. He says that's the distance between my way of thinking and your way of thinking. In other words, the distance is insurmountable, isn't it? It's insurmountable. The point is we can never hope to reach his way of thinking, his level of thinking. Now, why does God highlight this truth here? God's not trying to discourage us, is he? God is trying to get us to humble ourselves and remind us that we need him. We need to seek him. He says this to remind us just how much we need his wisdom, his understanding of the situation before us. Now consider the vast difference between his thoughts and our thoughts. You know, God's way of thinking is only ever pure. It's only ever Holy, it's only ever righteous. Compare that to our way of thinking, oftentimes it's only evil. It's evil, it's wicked, it's sinful. You see, even after salvation, we need our minds to be renewed, don't we? We need our minds to be renewed, we need our minds to be transformed by the Spirit. Romans 12 tells us that. Let's turn there. Romans 12 verse 1, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We need our minds to be transformed by the Spirit's. It's only as we yield to the Spirit and as He transforms our minds, renews our thinking, that we can even begin to think as God thinks. That we can even begin to grasp His spiritual wisdom. Not only that, but also consider the fact that our Lord is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He knows everything. Compare that to our way of thinking. All we can see is what's right in front of us. We can only see the present moments. But God, he knows the end of every path we take, every decision that we make. You see, compared to God, our minds are limited. Our wisdom is nothing but foolishness. How foolish are we therefore as believers if we do not come humbly before him and ask him for wisdom, ask him for counsel. The third reason we need God's counsel is is the pressures of the world, the pressures of the world around us. You see, added to those internal deficiencies, you know, a sinful, selfish heart and a limited, inferior mind, added to that are also the external pressures around us, in particular, the pressures from the world. Now, we are surrounded by an anti-God way of thinking, aren't we? An ungodly world. And if we're not careful, we can find this way of thinking influencing us. Influencing the, the decisions that we make as believers. You now, it's because of this danger that we're warned there in Romans 12, verse 2, and be not conformed to the world. Be not conformed to this world. Don't be pressed into the mold of the world. Don't be pressed into their way of thinking. Be careful, we don't find ourselves thinking like this ungodly world around us. One commentator wrote this, he said, This warns us that the world system, the popular culture and manner of thinking that is in rebellion against God, will try to conform us to its ungodly pattern. And that process must be resisted. The world is pressuring us, isn't it? The world around us is putting pressure upon us to think like they think. And that pressure is relentless, isn't it? I mean, for our young people, it's it's all upon them at school every day. It's upon you at university. It's upon us on TV, whatever it might be. It's all around us, this pressure from the world. Their philosophy of life is putting pressure upon us to make decisions that line up with the world's way of thinking, that lines up with their list of priorities. For instance, the world teaches us that every decision is to be decided by the mandate, me first. Me first, with no concern for anyone else. Look out for number one. Why? Because our world is humanistic, isn't it? It's humanistic. Man is their God. They are their own God. And therefore everything they do is done to please self. Love, we are pressured by the world to think just like they do. And it is a very real danger for us as Christians to have a humanistic way of thinking and be only concerned with what pleases self. We're pressured to follow their ungodly counsel, their wisdom. You know, God's word's clear. Psalm 1 verse 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. True blessedness, true happiness is found by refusing to walk according to the counsel of this world. And instead turning our attention to the counsellor, the Lord Jesus Christ in his word. Looking to him for wisdom, for understanding in every decision we make. We need his counsel in the face of the pressure from the world around us. And finally we need his counsel because of the devices of the devil. The devices of the devil. You see, not only we're we pressured by the world, but we're pressured by the devil too, aren't we? The attacks of the devil. In Second Corinthians chapter eleven, we're told that the devil seeks to deceive the minds of believers. Let's turn to Second Corinthians. <clears throat> In 2 Corinthians chapter eleven and verse one. <clears throat> Says, would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste version to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through through subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now Paul here writing, he says that the devil is seeking to deceive the mind of these believers to corrupt their, their way of thinking. Just as he deceived Eve in the Garden of Eden, he corrupted her way of thinking. He got her to believe a lie. The devil now seeks even to deceive us as believers. To deceive us into believing a lie, to turning away from the truth unto another gospel, to false doctrine. And in doing so, make us ineffective for Christ. You know, it's easy to see how false doctrine, false teaching will naturally affect our way of thinking, won't it? It will affect our decision making. Now, a tainted doctrine will in turn taint our priorities. A tainted doctrine will taint our decisions on how we worship the Lord, on how we serve the Lord, on how we conduct ourselves before the world. Attain a doctrine will cause us to lose focus of what's really important. You know, if the devil can deceive our minds, he'll lead us down a, a path of destruction. You see, we desperately need our counselor. We need his counsel to keep us from being deceived. You now, Wearsby summed up perfectly our need for Godly counsel. He said this. He said, no matter how we assess the situation... You and I desperately need God's counsel if we are to make a success of life to the glory of God. It's true. We desperately need his counsel if we're going to make a success for him, to his glory. We need the counsel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without his counsel, we will fail, we'll fall miserably. We need the counsel that only he can give. Of course, this counsel is found how? It's found by spending time in the word of God, isn't it? By coming and spending time with him, consuming his word, feeding upon the word. Allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us and renew our minds, renew our way of thinking. Change our hearts, producing in us the fruit of the spirits. As we draw near unto him in his word and near unto him in prayer. And of course, it also means patiently waiting upon him as well, doesn't it? Coming in and seeking his counsel, but then we have to patiently wait for his wisdom and direction. Now, James 1, verse 5 says, that If any man ask of God, he'll give it to, ask for God wisdom, he'll give it to men liberally. He'll give it unto us. That's God's promise. If we ask for wisdom, he will give it. Lover, we must come and ask for wisdom, but then we must wait patiently upon him. One commentator wrote this. He said, God's delays are preparation for God's blessings. If you do not know what God wants you to do, wait and keep doing the last thing he told you to do. Your gracious counsellor will never lead you astray, but you can lead yourself astray if you become impatient and impulsive. That's true, isn't it? If we become impatient and impulsive... What do we do? We resort to our own wisdom. We try and direct our own steps. We follow the counsel of the world and we make foolish, destructive decisions. You see, as we've seen this evening, we have no capacity to direct our steps. We need the Counselor. We need the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, let us all daily, humbly seek the Lord and wait patiently for him. For his name is Counselor. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our Lord and Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that not only is he called wonderful, he's also called counsellor. Lord, we thank you so much for the counsel that you give through your holy word. And Lord, we all need that counsel daily. Lord, if we seek to follow our own desires, our own heart, our own way of thinking, we will end up in a a place of destruction, Lord, we need you. Lord, may you help us to humble ourselves and to seek you and wait patiently upon you. Lord, work in our hearts this evening. May you uh, bless your word and speak to us. You pray in Jesus' name, amen.